You're listening to the U Podcast, taking you inside the Miami Huddle, where it's all about the U all the time. I'm your host, Kelvin Harris, former king from 1987 to 1991, and a member of three national championship teams. And today, we are going to re- recap the Louisville game and also preview Boston College. It was a rough week for us. We had a good chance, but we left it on the field. So we have got to rebound this week and uh, finish on a strong note. So when we come back, I'm going to talk about Louisville, the Louisville game, and uh, it goes over the pros and the cons, the good and the bad. So we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Louisville. When you give it your all to be in peak condition, sometimes you face serious setbacks. From rotator cuff tears to tendon injuries and many other common sports concerns. Our experts at the University of Miami Sports Medicine Institute, part of UHealth University of Miami Health System, use innovative treatments customized for your recovery goals so you can get back to training. Go where the pros go for the world-class treatment that will empower you to recover your game. Schedule an appointment today at uhealthsports.com. Certain things you have to see for yourself. Francis Ford. Fucking with them hoes you niggas still can't afford. Made so many mistakes, I know that my niggas relate. Just to rattle my case, so much shit they sat on my plate. She know me through records, but she don't know me too well. All this game is for sale, was priceless, I keep for myself. Shots vibe, man expired, and it's Jordan 3s. Small talk, turn that page, that's all they ever read. You graduated, you still unemployed. You taken for granted, love is null and void. No longer one of few, young Langston Hughes. Jewish intuition, I'm following cues. Niggas on Versace, don't know Nikki Giovanni. Your paper chasing, can't see that it's running from you. My homies from the block, they labeled me cunning. No excuse for my success, so they say I'm a sonic. I keep it 100, fuck her, I keep the car running. How she fuck on the back, that's to keep food on the stomach. Uh, look at me, look at me. Really shit you niggas ever see. Look at me, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. All right, Kings Nation. Let's go over the painful, painful loss in Louisville. Our fifth loss of the season. Well, breaking down, you know, from a coaching standpoint, uh, overall, offensively, Dawson did a good job. You know, Tyler looked sharp. He didn't, um, he didn't throw any picks. Made really good throws. Made really good decisions. So obviously, they coached him up good enough this week to where he didn't kill us defensively the schemes were there we just didn't make plays never adjusted to the tight end you know a lot of you people say you talk about coaching but you gotta understand something you've never been in a locker room or on the sideline you gotta understand something you're constantly getting you know uh, polaroids and you're getting you know stuff from up top because there's people in the box that are seeing this and they're telling you when you come to the sideline, what's going on? 
But what I'm seeing is a lack of process of the information. Because after they beat you two times, maybe three times with the tight end, you have to know that it's coming. And honestly, it just seems like they didn't pick that up. I mean, you're 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 playing a defense, whether it be man or zone, a coverage. You have to account for the tight end, whether you have him in man or whether you're in zone and you see him crossing the formation. You know, you got to understand route concepts. And that was just bad. And then I saw something I've never seen before. I've never seen – everybody runs pick plays, but I've never seen two guys pick themselves. That ain't coaching. It's bad. That's bad playing. Um, yeah, I guess you can get over Mario for that, time, that timeout. It, it really wasn't necessary. They get on us for game management, and I kind of understand. I can understand the um, the fan base being upset, but I kind of, in my mind, I kind of know why we're slowing things down. We're doing things a certain way because we had a quarterback that was uh, playing really bad, and then the alternative was one of two young quarterbacks. So either way, you can't, and you had a defense that was playing really good up until this week. So you say to yourself, we got to play, quote, unquote, complementary football. A lot of you have heard that. But I think a lot of you don't really understand this, the, the, the concept of it. You know, there's a reason why Dan Fox San Diego Chargers teams never won a championship. Because they laid that defense out there on the field. I mean, yeah, they scored a lot of points, but they had a lot of three and outs too. And in this day and age, you could go up tempo, but then you start leaving your defense out in the wind. And so we we are very close. I know a lot of people I hate to hear that, but you know, having seen the players up close, been to the games, you know, having to evaluate the other teams' talent for these podcasts. Um. We have more talent than Louisville. Louisville is having a better season, but we have more talent. Should we have won that game? Yes, we should have won that game. Uh, obviously, we should have beat Georgia Tech. Should we have beat North Carolina State? Yes. I mean, their quarterback was terrible. He transferred. He went to portal the week afterwards. So that's three ball games. So instead of being six and five, we'd be nine and two. Don't get me started on the FSU game and the safety. We went toe-to-toe with a team that's the number five team in the country, you know, with a bunch of young guys. So it isn't a talent thing. And then, honestly, I don't really even think it's coaching. I just think it's execution. It's an execution thing. And, you know, execution and learning how to close a game out. Now, this time next year, uh, I'm going to say this. I have seen this movie before. I, and, and luckily for this particular guy, there was no social media like it is now. And that was Butch Davis because Butch had a bunch of blunders his first couple of years. But one of the things he did that was incredible was he stockpiled talent. He stockpiled talent so well that they changed the rules 
on how you stockpile talent, which led to arguably the greatest college team in the history of college football. We had a, you know, nice little mini run there for four years, you know, for 2000, 2004, we were really good. All right. I, it, this is a very similar thing. We're stockpiling a lot of young talent. A lot of young talent is playing. Right, there's going to be some guys that get pushed out after this season, veterans. There's going to be some more young guys, and there's going to be some more portal guys. Um, one thing that you can count on from this point on is our offensive line is going to push people around because uh, Mirabel, Mario, Pata, they're going to make it a priority. Our defensive line is going to be stout. Now, we're going to go into this portal. We're going to get some defensive tackles because we're probably not going to have uh, Leonard Taylor and Jason Harrison Hunt next year. But we will have some defensive tackles. It's just we, that's how we are. We're going to find them. And we'll probably have a portal safety or two because I don't know if Cam Kitchens and James Williams are coming back. Honestly, Cam Kitchens needs to come back. I know you're seeing these draft um, projections, but listen, I'm a vet. I, I've been around this draft for a long time. He's not going in the first or second round. I mean, and James Williams is definitely going to be a lower round draft pick because he's not playing safety at the next level. He's going to be a converted linebacker. So, you know, that, that, that there in itself allows them to cheat him of money. Now, uh, he'll probably get a nice little loan from his agent, you know, which he'll pay back once he gets the signing bonus. So, yeah, he'll make some money. Uh, I just don't know. You know, he should be on an active roster because, you know, he can play on special teams. But, you know, nothing is guaranteed in the National Football League. That's why they call it not for long. But I just hope, you know, these, you know, these kids making proper decisions. I mean, uh, Jacoby George had a good year, but you know what? This is one of the better wide receiver drafts in modern times in the last 20 years. So you're, you're, you're kind of small, get a little bigger, come back another year, and put some more stats up, get your speed down even lower, and, hey, you know, who knows? I mean, look, guys. It's been a frustrating year because I think our whole fan base sees the potential. And But, you know, I always say potential means you ain't done shit. And right now we haven't done anything. We've just teased. So what we have to do is we have to find a way to get over the mump, get over the mountain, get over the hump. And I think the kids feel it, smell it, taste it. You know, I got to just talk to a few of them. Um... They know. They know they're good. They just now, this offseason is one of the most important offseasons of, you know, next year there's a 12-team playoff. We need to be one of those 12 teams. That is the goal, to make the playoffs. I mean, once you get in the playoffs, it's a crapshoot. I'm not going to sit up here and say, oh, we're going to win the national championship. No, make the playoffs. At that point, whatever happens, happens. Um. But this game was painful because we had it and we let it slip away. And, you know, look, I'm not even, you know, I'm I'm not one of those people that is not afraid to, to speak, speak truth, facts of truth. 
They missed another fucking call in the end zone. That was a that was a pi call. We should have had the ball at the zero yard line. Now, on the flip side, um, we get the ball back, and yeah, there was thirty yards of penalties, and we ended up dying on the three yard line. Um, I know everybody was upset at Jacoby George, but. I understand the passion. Now, it wasn't a smart move, but come on. How do you miss that call? And, you know, this is starting to be – it's starting to get frustrating. You know, you know, it's starting to get frustrating. I mean, four games – I've counted four or five games where we've gotten screwed on calls, obvious calls. It's got to stop. It's got to stop. But I go back to when we lost to Notre Dame in 88, 31-30 at South Bend. I remember Coach Johnson saying, I told you, don't leave it into the hands of the refs. And, you know, um, you know, next time I'm down to UM, one of the things that I'm going to give advice to Mario is, look, this time next year, whenever you have a chance to put your foot on somebody's neck, don't take it off. I would rather people be mad at us for putting 60 on everybody than for what we're going through right now, losing because of bad calls. You know, we are who we are. We're the villain. Let's just be the villain. Let's whoop everybody's ass. Let's get everybody mad at us. But they mad because we've beaten them and we've beaten them bad. I mean, the goal should be to score 60 points every week on everybody. And I mean... You know, yeah, I'm not saying don't play the set, the backups. What I'm saying is play the backups and toss that bitch. Don't – none of this run – no, throw the ball down the field, run trick plays. If you come and play us – because, you know, Jimmy Johnson, I remember in in in, in, in the first um, uh, uh, document, 30 for 30, he says, hey, I get paid to coach my team. I can't control what your team do. So if your team sucks – that's your fault, you know, because this is getting frustrating. You know, we're playing tough, tough games, and it's coming down to one or two calls, and we're not only not getting the calls, we're getting screwed on the calls. So it's got to stop. you got to send a message, you know what I'm saying? Stop being a nice guy. Let's just start running these scores up, and, you know, hey, people can hate us. But you know what all that hate got us? Two documentaries, five national championships. So, hey, I could care less. Um, you know, defensively, we played a bad game. I don't know what happened to the defense. We just – we shut down Jawar Jordan, but um, we gave up 38 points. You know, um, that's just not – that's not acceptable. Now, we're playing Boston College this week, and it's going to be on a Friday. It's going to be cold. Um, I expect us to come out and redeem ourselves uh, and, and, and finish the regular season on a, on, a, on a strong note and then go into these bowl practices and um, do the damn thing. Get better and come out and win this bowl game. I'm hoping we can finish at eight and five. 
I'm hoping we can finish eight and five. That would be, you know, that'd be great. You know, but you know, only time will tell. Now I was looking at um looking at reports that, you know, people are trying to figure out if Tyler Van Dyke is coming back, if he's playing in the bowl game. You know, to be honest with you, if you're Tyler Van Dyke, you gotta play in the bowl game, whether you decide to come back or not. Because the biggest problem you have right now is um, you're definitely not going pro, just not marketable, um, unless you want to be a free agent. So you have to you have to lay the groundwork, whether it be with us or for a team you want to transfer to, with this performance this week. You look he looked he looked good last week, but he's got to continue it, and maybe just maybe he's gotten over the yips. I don't know. We'll see. But um, I don't know. It was um, another frustrating week. All I'm going to say to the fan base is just be patient because we coming. We getting there. Um, So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to talk with my man from uh, the Boston Globes about Boston College, Boston College Breakdown, here on the U Podcast. When you strive to perform at your best, sometimes injury and pain can keep you from your active lifestyle. From muscle strains to tennis and golfer's elbow and many other common sports injuries, our experts at the University of Miami Sports Medicine Institute, part of UHealth, University of Miami Health System, are helping athletes of all levels to alleviate pain and restore quality of life. Recover your game and get back to the passion that drives you. Schedule an appointment today at uhealthsports.com. Canes Nation, Canes Nation, we are um, going into the last game, and we're going to preview the Boston College Eagles. This uh, segment of the opponent scouting report is brought to you by Headliner Market Group, the purveyors of the hottest Sunday night in America, Live on Sunday, and also the hottest day party in America, the do-up day party usually at Racket Bar and Grill. And I'm bringing on my man, Trevor Haas? Yep, Trevor Haas. Okay, from the Boston Globe, a storied newspaper. I mean, big-time newspaper. Um, how's it going, Trevor? Going well. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. You, you, have you been working with the Globe for for a while? Yep. Yeah, so I uh, went to Syracuse for college and then uh, moved to Minnesota for a year and then came back here in uh, 2016. So I've been with the Globe since 2016. So can't complain. And you've been covering Boston College the whole time? Uh, since about 2019. Okay. Wow, Minnesota. I, I took I visited the University of Minnesota. It's the reason why I knew I wasn't going up north. Way too cold. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've lived in uh, Boston, Minnesota, and Syracuse, so I, I would like a nice warm weather place at some point. Maybe a little vacation would be nice. <laughs> Man, you've gotten cheated. Let me tell you something. There's nothing like a 90-degree Christmas. Oh, yeah. I feel you. <laughs> yeah. So, Boston College is, what, 6-5 and five as well, right? Yep, two 6-5 teams. Yeah. Now, you know, me 
me personally, I you know, this guy seems like he's done a good job of rearranging the culture and it's like what was the record last year? Uh three and nine. That was a down year. They they won six games before that and then last year was kind of a, a head scratcher and now they're back to being, you know, where they've been in the past a few years before that. Well, the Jacobert kid I thought was gonna be a great quarterback and then I don't know what happened. Yeah, that was an interesting one. He was, you know, he started Notre Dame and he was so happy to be at BC with a fresh start and a chance to really prove himself. And it started off really well. And he and Zay Flowers, who was a, you know, a first round pick this past year, they had some great chemistry. But then I think teams kind of realized that, you know, if you blitz still and you get in his face and you kind of, you know, make him make him think and kind of get out of the pocket a little bit, then he gets a little rattled. So I think teams kind of figured that out and it kind of went downhill from there. But it was a weird situation because, like you said, it had a lot of promise and then kind of went downhill. So it was definitely weird to see that. Yeah, he's a tight end now, right? Yep. Yeah, he's going back and forth, tight end quarterback. It seems like he's, he hasn't really made up his mind, but whatever he can do to get on the field. And so, um, was there much was there much coaching turnover in the off season? Uh, a couple, yeah, a couple of new assistants, but overall, not too much. It was, it was, you know, they got rid of the offensive coordinator Don McNulty, um, and so now they have Steve Shinko. Um, he was, you know, he had some experience with the staff. And Matt Avalon came back on the O-line, who had some NFL experience as well. So he's been probably their, you know, their star so far in terms of assistant coaches. The O-line has really improved significantly from last year to this year, in large part due to health. Well, McNulty actually had a stint here at University of Miami a, a few years ago. Um, yep. And, you know, traditionally, Boston College's offensive line is always good. That's like the linchpin, seems like, for the team. And... I mean, yeah, they're kind of bringing it back now. It was, it was, you know, down last year, and you know, this year it's it's really been their calling card. It's been the reason they were able to win six games, potentially more. It's been it's been great most of the year. What the the does anybody know what happened last year? Uh, honestly, most of it was due to injuries. It was it was kind of one of those things where you know one thing led to the next, and it just spiraled. Um, Christian Mahogany, who's a their star guard, who's a potential first or second round pick this year. You know, he was out last year due to an ACL injury. So once that happened, then more, it led to more injuries, you know, and then once you got two or three injuries, it's kind of, you know, the next guy stepping up, but there's only so much that, that guy can do if he's a retro freshman and he hasn't really played much. So it's just kind of one thing led to the next, and then they couldn't really run the ball. Teams knew they were going to pass the ball, and then the offense became predictable, and then all of a sudden you're three and nine. But this year, a whole different story. So with Mahogany back and a lot of good guys around him, um, Drew Kendall, Ozzy Trapillo, um, some other key players, they've been pretty consistent most of the year. Now, the quarterback, to me, has been a breakout player. I remember I first got a glimpse of him against Florida State, and he, um, you know, the lights weren't too bright for him, and he looked like he's had a solid season. Yeah, that's a good way to put it, that the lights aren't too bright for him. He's he's a kid who really doesn't get rattled. You know, if he throws a pick, he obviously, you know, anyone who throws a pick is upset, but he really does a good job putting it right behind him right away. Um, he's very, very mature on the field. He's only a... A redshirt. He's only a sophomore, but he plays like a junior or senior most of the time. And what's his name? Thomas Castellanos. Castellanos. Yes, he's number. What number is he? He's number seven. Uh, number one. Number one. Now, now is he a northeastern kid? Uh, no, he's actually a Georgia kid, um, and he originally played at UCF. So you know, he has some Florida ties. So I'm sure this will mean oh, a little extra right. that. Yeah, so. he was a transfer. Yep. Somebody brought that up. Which is which is interesting because um, 
It is. UCF has had a couple of kids transfer out and do really well. Um, and, you know, he's got some wiggle to him, uh, good arm. He's definitely a dual threat. And, you know, we, we're we going to have to um, control our rushes because he will definitely run out that back door if you leave it open. Um, now, looking at your running backs, um, who's the lead back? Uh, so Kai Robichaux has been uh, stepping up as predominantly the lead back. They've had some injuries there as well. So he was actually the fourth string to start the year, and now he's number one. But he's he's a real like north-south guy, kind of gets downhill, just runs extremely hard right in your face. So I think that will be the, kind of the key to this game. Is Miami's run defense has been pretty good this season, number one in the ACC in terms of Jewish rushing yards allowed per game. And BC's run game has been really, really good most of the year, as I mentioned. So I think that's kind of the key to this game, if BC can establish the run and do what it's done really well or if Miami kind of dictates that. So. I'm curious to see how that unfolds. Yeah, yeah, I am too, because, you know, Boston College is one of those force-their-will-on-you type teams, and it's uh, it's been pretty successful for most of the year. And like you said, our run defense has been good. They're definitely going to get tested this um, this week. Well, you know, you know, speaking of, you know, the, 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 the running game, the offensive line, now you mentioned the one guy, Mahogany. Who else stands out on the line? So a couple of guys. Uh, Drew Kendall uh, has been really good. He's a center. He's been very consistent all season. Is he Pete Kendall's um, son is another brother? guy. It is. Yep. Uh, son. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, so that's been cool to see him kind of follow in his dad's footsteps. Yeah, Kane's Nation. For those of you who don't know, Pete Kendall is one of the best offensive linemen to come out of Boston College, and he spent uh, double digit years in the NFL. Made a couple Pro Bowls. Really good. Really good offensive lineman. Yep, exactly. So he has the family ties and Ozzy Trapillo as well. So it's been pretty cool to see them follow on their, their father's footsteps and kind of live out that legacy. So those three are really the catalysts and around them, you know, just a pretty pretty steady unit. So they've done a great job. Now, over the years, Boston College has had some really good tight ends. Uh, how's that looking this year? Uh, so one guy... You know, it was supposed to be George Takis, a Notre Dame transfer, who um, he's had a pretty consistent career overall, but he's been injured lately, so he's been out. So young guy Jeremiah Franklin has stepped up. Uh, he's from Pennsylvania, a pretty physical guy, uh, about 6'4", 240 or so. Who can, you know, he doesn't really take the top off the defense, but he's kind of that burly tight end who can get out wide and get you those six or seven-yard gains. So uh, he's a pretty, he has pretty good chemistry with Castellanos, um, definitely a good good blocker and a pretty consistent pass catcher. So. Uh, you know, he's he's really come a long way from the start of the season. I expect him to continue to grow in that role. Now, like, you know, we talked about Zay Flowers is making a living now in the NFL. He's actually pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Who has stepped up and took his place? Well, no one's replacing Zay. That's, you know, that's the thing about it. He's he's the best wide receiver in program history and probably a top 10 player in program history, if not top five. So they kind of knew going into the season that it would be by committee. Um, it was supposed to be, you know, Ryan O'Keefe, the main guy, another UCF transfer, um, who really started off the season pretty well and can kind of take the top off the defense more than some other guys I've had, uh, like Zay did. Uh, but he got injured. Um, he had a, a pretty nasty collision. So, unfortunately, he'll almost definitely be off for this season. So, in his absence, it's been, uh, you know, kind of by committee. Lewis Bond has been their, their top receiver most of the year. Um, he's a pretty shifty guy who kind of gets those 10 to 15-yard completions and you know, he's, he's pretty uh, – he wiggles like Castellanos does and is pretty pretty athletic. Uh, a young guy, Jaden Skeet, who's from here, uh, Catholic Memorial High School. He's a freshman, but he I would really – you know, you'll be hearing from him in the next few years. He's extremely athletic and fast, uh, great hands, great feet. So he's a really good player. 
Um, and then outside of that, it's just kind of, you know, a bunch of guys who step up collectively. Um, Dino Tomlin, uh, Mike Tomlin's son, um, I wrote a story on him last week when they played Pittsburgh. Um, he obviously has the football pedigree as well, so that helps us, uh, helps him. So it's kind of just a bunch of guys who are pretty athletic and you work well with Castellanos in tandem, but it's definitely the past game that really needs to step up in this game. Um, you know, I, th- I think BC generally runs the ball. Like we said, it might be tough this week against Miami considering how long they defend the run, but I think in order to win this game, BC will have to pass consistently. So that's kind of the key I'm looking for as well is, you know, can can you kind of mix in those runs and those passes to, you know, keep Miami honest? Yeah, I agree. I, I expect after last week, I expect Boston College to give us a heavy dose of the tight end because, it's, you know, we played last week like he wasn't even on the field. And um, I just – if I'm Boston College, I'm watching that film, and that's one of the things. I'm going to do a lot of crossing routes and stuff like that with tight end because we did a horrible job last week covering them. Uh, defensively, now, they're running a 4-2 or 4-3? 4-3. Uh, and who's the big star on that defense? Uh, well, up front, it's uh, Donovan Nazaraku. Um, he's a pretty consistent player, uh, very physical, um, kind of gets in your face and, you know, frustrates you, um, defensive end. So I'd look out for him, number six. Um, and then Cam Horsley is another guy who's really stepped up, uh, nose tackle. He was kind of an unsung hero this season so far. Um, he's really kind of does the dirty work, you know, handles double teams. And, you know, if you have, as Jeff Halfley put it, if you have 600 pounds on you a lot of the time, that's, that's a lot of weight. So he's done a good job How there. How big is he? Um, uh, let me look up the exact way for you. I'm going to guess 280, but let me check. Okay. Oh, no, I was way short. 315. <laughs> okay, yeah, well, that is good. 6'3", no, 315. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he's, he's pretty is happy. Is he the biggest so, of the D-linemen? Yeah, good job. What's that? Is, is he the biggest of the D-linemen who start? Uh, let's see. It looks like it, yeah. Yep. And what, what what's the story with the linebackers? Uh, who's the standout of that position? Uh, so Vinny De Palma has been at BC forever. It's his sixth season. Um, he's yeah. one of the top tackle tackling guys in the ACC. You probably heard that name floating around. So he's yeah, like the coach yeah. on the when field. When you said that the name, guy. I was when you said the name, I was like, he's still in, in my mind. I was like, damn, I thought he graduated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's like Robbie Hummel at Purdue in basketball. He's just there forever. So. <laughs> Yeah, so he's so he's, he's, the, he's, he's pretty I, steady. I guess I guess he's the leader of the not only the linebackers. He is. Group, yeah, he's probably the, the if I had to choose one leader of the defense, he would be the guy who's just you know he's like that coach and he kind of dictates what's going on. So, well, what's the story on the corners? Because I, so I, I really have a lot of injuries. So, Say it again. Yeah, I would think so. Um, yeah, they've they've had some injuries as well. Um, so Elijah Jones was actually number two in the nation with five interceptions a few weeks ago. And then he, he's out for an unspecified reason. They haven't told us what's going on there, but um, so he's out for this game. So um, Jalen Cheek and Amari Jackson are two names to know. They're young guys who have shown some promise. Um, they've had some big plays this season, but it's definitely been inconsistent in stretches. Um, you know, against Louisville, Louisville kind of took the top off the defense pretty consistently. Virginia Tech did the same thing. So I would expect Miami to, you know, pass pretty consistently. And I think the key defensively for BC will be to avoid those 30, 40-yard gains if, if you give up 10, 15-yard passes, obviously that's not ideal, but you can still hang in the game. But if you give up those explosives, then it's going to be tough for BC to keep pace, in my opinion. Hmm. Yeah. Now, your linebackers, 
Um, what's the story there? Yeah, so Vinny De Palma um, and Cam Arnold yeah, yeah, is also a guy I haven't mentioned yet. Yep. I, I meant to say your safeties. I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. Um, so, so Cole Batson, uh, he's been injured uh, recently, but he should he might be back in this game. It's kind of a TBD situation. Um, so he's one of the best guys there. Um, the safeties have been, you know, tested. They've they've had certainly had their difficulties this season. Um, but Cheek is another guy, Jalen Cheek, who's you know he's he's shown some promise. So I would look out for him, but. I don't necessarily think it's it's the strong suit of the team right now, but it's certainly an area where there is room for growth in the future. So it's definitely a young group getting tested at the moment. Well, it sounds like the entire secondary is a little unsteady. It is, it is. They've had their moments where they've played really well this season, but it's just due to injuries and circumstances out of their control and youth, it's, it's been a little inconsistent. So I do think Miami will have an edge there probably. Yeah, because Jacoby George has really come on the last few weeks, and then the the, the starting trio of Kobe George, um, uh, uh, excuse me, Jacoby George, Kobe Young, and uh, Restrepo, uh, George has an outside chance at a thousand yards receiving. And let me see, Restrepo had eight; he's got eight hundred and eighty-six, I think. So all he needs is one hundred fourteen yards. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a thousand. But both of these, you know, all three of these guys are over 700 yards. So uh, we're definitely explosive. Um, And, you know, just listening to you break down the secondary, we have to take them deep. We got to see if they can swim because it sounds like there's a lot of instability in the secondary. And, you know, Boston College over the years has been a really tough front seven team. You're just not going to push them around. So I think we definitely need to uh, attack the secondary to get to get um get you guys loose. Now in the special teams area, punters and kickers, what's the story there? So uh, Liam Connor has been the kicker. He's been pretty consistent. He missed he missed a tough extra point against Florida State, unfortunately, which was a tough moment for him where they could have you know had a chance to. Have one of the biggest upsets of the season in college football. Um, so one of those tough situations where the kicker misses, and it wasn't the only reason they lost, but it certainly contributed. But since then, he's really stepped up and been pretty consistent overall. So been a nice bounce back. He's a local kid too, so you know it's always good for BC when they get those players in their own backyard and they end up panning out. So Liam Connor's definitely a pretty consistent kicker who can make it from 35, 40 yards. Not really 45 or 50, but you know he'll make them if they're relatively short. Um, and then at punter, uh, this guy Sam Candotti from Australia is actually kind of a kind of money with his punt, so he'll really pin you like down to the five or ten. So he's a guy who, you know, if BC. One thing we haven't talked about is that BC goes for it a lot on fourth down. Um, so if you know if BC gets it midfield or at the opponent's forty, they're gonna and it's fourth and three, fourth and four, they're gonna go for it almost every time um, if it makes sense to do so. But once it gets to like fourth or you know fourth and ten or fourth and fifteen, and they punt, Candotti's really good at getting you down to the five or so. So. He does a good job not letting it fall to the end zone. So I'd look for him kind of – he's not like a – you know, not a weapon, but he's a consistent punter. So basically, once you guys get over the 50, uh, there's a pretty good chance that they're going to go for it if it's not. Like, yep, you know, exactly. if it's fourth and three or less. Right, even fourth and four, fourth and five, potentially. Um, I have the stat in front of me, actually. So BC is 26 of 35 on fourth down which is by far the most conversions, by far the most attempts in the ACC. It's 74%, which is the highest percentage. So it's pretty impressive, honestly, what they do there. Yeah, yeah, that is. Now, what about the return game? 
they really haven't had much success in the return game, to be honest. It's been kind of invisible. Not really bad, just kind of a non-factor. Um, so it really depends. It's, uh, Ryan O'Keefe was supposed to do that, but he's been injured. Jaden Williams, a guy we haven't mentioned at wide receiver, um, he's pretty, you know, pretty solid, pretty shifty. Um, Robo Show does them sometimes. Uh, let's see, Amari Jackson. So it's kind of a, by committee, but generally Jaden Williams is the main guy there. Yeah. Well, when we come to the my favorite part, score predictions. So uh, I'm gonna let you go first. Uh, what 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 you got? <laughs> So this season's been very strange for Boston College. It's kind of been, you know, when you when you expect them to lose, they win. When you expect them to win, they lose. It's one of those weird situations. So I'm tempted to pick BC, but I'm not going to do it. I'm gonna I'm gonna say Miami's athleticism and pass game kind of dictates this game. But BC does hang around and make it respectable. But then Miami kind of has one of those late scores or two that you know makes it a little bit a little bit more lopsided than it actually was. So I'll say like 34-20 Miami, something like that, where it's relatively close. But then Miami does find a way to win it. Funny, I had thirty-one twenty. Um, mm-hmm. Close, because we've been consistently scoring over thirty points, and last week was an anomaly with our defense where we gave up thirty points. Because usually the defense, you know, um, well, hell, we didn't even give up thirty points for Florida State. You know, we've only done it twice. It was once against, well, technically three times because we gave up thirty-three points and a victory over A and L. We beat them forty-eight thirty-three. But other than that, yep. um, North Carolina. And last week, so and then you know there's been a lot, 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 you know, written about the defenses. I don't want to call it a downfall, but just bad performance. So I expect the defense to come out like gangbusters, and I think the one thing that gives me some uh, solace in picking Miami is that Boston College is not very explosive. They're a, a lunch pail team. And I just think um, our defensive line can control the line of scrimmage, and there's just not any explosive players that make me nervous. Um, so I'm going 31-20. So yeah, we're, we're, yeah I think that's we're, a fair assessment. Yeah, we're, we're with similar scores. Listen, I want to thank you for coming on. Tell the people where they can find you social media-wise. Yeah, so my name is Trevor Haas. I write for the Boston Globe. Uh, my Twitter, or X, is at Trevor Haas, H-A-S-S. Uh, you can read my work in print as well in the Globe. Um, I'll have a preview coming out in uh, Thursday or Friday's paper, and then I'll have some game coverage after Friday's game as well. Hey, man, I want to thank you for coming on, man. You have a blessed night. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks so much. When you go hard at the gym, sometimes you get hurt. From meniscus or rotator cuff tears to muscle strains and other common sports injuries, the experts at the University of Miami Sports Medicine Institute, part of UHealth, University of Miami Health System, are committed to getting you back to your best safely, effectively, and as quickly as possible. Go where the pros go for the world-class treatment that will empower you to recover your game. Schedule an appointment today at uhealthsports.com. Back in the days, back in the days when I was young, I'm not a kid anymore. But some days I sit and wish I was a kid again. Back in the days when I was young, I'm not a kid anymore. But some days I sit and wish I was a kid. And everybody back in the days when I was young, I'm not a kid And everybody say, I remember wish I was a kid. And everybody in the days when I was young, I'm not a kid anymore. Cage Nation, Cage Nation. Here we are with our back in the day segment, sponsored by. Headliner Market Group, the purveyors 
of the hottest Sunday night in America live on Sunday. And also the hottest day party in America, the doo-wop day party, which travels, by the way. I have my man Bernard Tiger Clark. You know, <laughs> fame, he's still famous to this day for that orange bowl. And, of course, this past week, the Tallahassee people put you back in the spotlight with the proverbial flag on your head play. So, Absolutely. Always. You know how it is. That's, a, that's I mean, the first uh, thing. That's Dexter's go-to. That's Dexter Carter's go-to. Every time we play him, either he's going to put it on Facebook or my man uh, Dedrick Dodge, he's going to put it on Facebook. So it's it's just one of those things that's going to happen. We understand that K-Nation, as you would call it. Well, to be, <laughs> to be honest with you, Dedrick Dodge should be – oh, man, we had a um, couple – few years ago we had a uh, – Dwayne Starks had a thing where he had UM and uh, – Miami players uh, have a dinner before the uh, Miami game. I think it was a game we won like 52-something uh, okay. at Prime 112 on South Beach. Dedrick Dodge was there. Man, we was roasting him about that play where Michael Irvin ran by him in uh, the corner. <laughs> it's like, man, what kind of – as a matter of fact, his players was roasting him. Man, what kind of anger was you taking, man? <laughs> Mike, but, had that, Mike had to accept the speed. You know that. Mike was running by people they didn't realize he was running by him. That's the issue. Hey, man, what people didn't realize, Mike had to run as fast as he could to get dinner with all them brothers and sisters they had. I mean, <laughs> he got a lot of them, bro. Ain't no doubt. Of 17, he, bro. And we ain't counting mom and daddy. We just talking about the kids. Ain't no doubt about it, man. Yeah. My man, Mike. The playmaker. Yeah, man. Playmaker. The but playmaker. no, man, everything, you know, the crazy thing, Kev, man, you know, I watched the game after our game was finished, you know, here at uh, Robert Morris University. Once our game was over, I came home and I watched the game. And I just, to be honest with you, my first thing I noticed was I thought the lights were just a little bit too big for the true freshman. You know, because that game yeah. <laughs> is a doozy, especially when you're playing that game in Tallahassee and all you hear for four quarters, and I'm not even going to sing the song, but you know what I'm talking about. That's all yeah. you hear and all you see is a chop for four straight quarters. And when you're that young and you go into that type of environment, that's a that's a heavy load to try to carry. Well, I thought what was interesting is that the the weekly press conference they had during, like I think on Tuesday, he talked about how he couldn't remember the last time he'd been hit. And remember, he is his 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 family is a military family, and he um, played at Milton High in the Panhandle. And I was thinking to myself, he probably didn't get hit much in high school because you know. High school, he's pretty decent. And this right. whole year here, he hadn't got hit in practice. And I was thinking, man, the speed of the game. Oof. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. But he showed some toughness that. And I, I, the thing that makes me a little nervous about Tyler Van Dyke is because I remember, I remember I had a chat with him after the first game he played, and I remember him saying the game slowed down in the third and fourth quarter. That first, was it North Carolina State? Whoever he played that first, he was, a, you know, he first start. And I remember Emory saying something about that at the Clemson game, that it slowed down in the third, late, late third, early fourth quarter. But Clemson didn't bring the heat like Florida State. I mean, Florida no, State – 
you got to remember, too, Florida State brought the heat because they had a true freshman in the backfield. You got to make him make yeah. decisions quick. It's not a situation where you can let him – because he is good enough to sit back there and pick you apart. But as a true freshman, yeah. was he good enough to sit back there, pick you apart, and feel all that pressure coming? I mean, they understood what they were doing. They knew the game plan, what it was going to be. And like I said, you know, again, I think the young man's going to be a heck of a football player. But at the same well, time – Well, it takes time. Yes, absolutely, Kev. There's no doubt. You know it. I know it takes – takes time. You know, when we first got there, when I first got there, you know, it was Vinny. You know, then after Vinny, it was, you know, actually between Vinny, we had Jeff Toretta, Gino's older brother, yeah. who played a couple of games for us because Vinny had a crazy moped accident. So, you know, Jeff played a, a couple of games for us, started. And then you had Steve Walsh, and, you know, then we had Craig Erickson, then we had Gino, you know, when I was there. So all those guys took time. And when, when Craig first got there, you know, Craig threw that thing like a rocket. You know, but Craig Man, couldn't Craig. run the offense. To, yeah, Craig couldn't run the offense the way Steve, you know, managed the offense. See, that's what people fail to realize. It's not about how strong the arm is. not about how, you know, accurate he is. It's more about what kind of decisions is he making. And when you're a young oh, guy and you played in that environment, so go ahead. I say this all, all the time because, you know, the two years I spent with the Rams was around quarterbacks, quarterback coaches and offensive coordinators. And I had Ernie Zampezi and Ted Toner, who ended up leaving and going to be the head coach at USC. But Ernie Zampezi used to always talk about decision-making and accurate throws. And then he would always tell Jim Everett and the other quarterbacks, depending on if it was three, five, or seven steps, the timing that the ball had to be out of their hands. And yes, the, 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 the latest that the ball was out of their hands is in 3.4 seconds. And to this day, when I watch a game, it's weird because I always count to see how long the quarterback has it on his hands. And when I get to four seconds, I'm like, okay, he in trouble. Because, and, you know, I had this I had this conversation with Sapp about uh, Brett Favre because he was, what you know, he gets the, the all 22 and the end zone copies from uh, his, 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 his friends in the league. And right. he was watching – we was actually on Zoom. This guy calls me six in the morning. We on Zoom watching fucking the Jets, and, and he says, "Look at this, man. Look at this. This is a horrible." He just telegraphed the uh, telegraphed the cut, and he got that man hurt. I said, "No." And Rogers got himself hurt because that ball was supposed to be gone in one point six seconds. When he patted that ball, he got himself hurt. You you ain't got time to pat the ball because hey, it's some gorillas across the line of scrimmage. And, you know, you're right, Emory Williams. Now, I will say this. Like, that throw he made to uh, Jacoby George on the long touchdown, some people said, mm-hmm. well, that, that should have been picked off. That was a bad angle. He put that ball where even if dude would have hit him, George was going to get his hands on it, and it was just a matter of could he hold on after he took the hit. Now, looking for yeah, us. Yeah, he put the ball to the outside. Dude, he put the ball to the outside. Yeah. I mean, that's where he's supposed to put it, yeah. And, and and just like the touchdown pass in the in the fade, that was a perfectly thrown fade pass, which was impressive. Now he rushed a lot of throws and he missed some open people, but like you said, hey man, he's out there. There's some these are real bullets that's coming at him. <laughs> There's no he doubt. That's what people. Team... Yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. That's it. No, and that's what say... people fail to understand. That's what people fail to understand. They fail to understand that. This guy has to do it under distress now. It's not about practice. It's not seven-on-seven seven when you're in high school going to seven-on-seven seven camps. This is football. 
This is a rival game. This is the fans losing their mind, and you're trying to make split-second decisions with flames losing their mind, bullets flying by, your guys trying to knock you out, and you got to make a decision. And you're a true freshman. It's tough, man. That's why you, when you see a true freshman who's in there doing it, man, you know he's a dude because to do it at that level with that speed is phenomenal. Well, I tell you what's funny is, you know, um, you even when you play games, certain games it's just faster. Um, I remember my junior year, I was backing up Handy, and we were playing San Diego State, and they pretty much blitzed every play. And I remember he got hurt and I had to come in. And to their credit, they were like, okay, they got a new guy in. And they, they brought the blisters, and I picked them up. And I thought to myself, okay, it's pretty fast. But in our case, because of practicing against our defense, it wasn't faster than what I was used to seeing in practice, which is weird to say because 99% of the time the game is way faster than practice. But our practices was on a whole other level. So I guess, you know, it makes you prepared. But, you know, when you're seeing those blitzes and they coming at you and they bring, you know, the first thing is recognition. And uh, it looked like to me he was recognizing it. But like you said, it's coming so fast. And he, him and the him and the receivers didn't really have that much chemistry because he had been splitting reps with Tyler all week. So there's no way they could have chemistry. Now, he's hurt. Now, I will say this. He's won these guys over. Me and Anthony Hamlin were talking about this. We both said it at the same time. He reminds me of Ken Dorsey. Same body type, a little thicker, uh, maybe a little stronger arm. But he just seems to have that, I don't know, that rally the troops type persona. Well, I know what you're talking about, I mean, because if you have a quarterback <clears throat> that the team feels like to get the job done, and he's going to put everything on the line in order to get the job done, they're going to rally behind him. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's crazy, Kev, you talk about quarterbacks. You know, we started the season at Air Force, and very first game we lost our starting quarterback, our starting guard. A Mike linebacker broke his head. We lost our nickel safety, and then that Jesus. week after the first game, yeah, the week after the first game, we lost our starting defensive end, and then later on our center went down. So we were down to our second team quarterback, and then our second team quarterback we're playing not this past week, but a week before that we're playing Southeast Missouri. He gets a he gets a concussion. So the guy that started the year he goes in there. Last week we're playing against um, Charleston Southern. He gets a concussion. So now we're down to our third team quarterback. But exactly what you said, but because he well because he has such a great relationship with the guys on the team, when he went in the game, they're like, Okay, okay, let's get it done. So they kinda rallied around him. You know, even though he's a redshirt freshman, you know, we, we were horrible last year. We didn't win a game, but he started in three games. So as a true freshman, he started last year, but we redshirted him this year. You know now you can play four games but still redshirt. So we've been holding yeah. him out all year long. And he didn't have to play until these last two games, so he can still redshirt. So he's a he's a freshman. But he's like, Coach, I played four games last year, so I'm good. And when he got in there, everybody saw he was good. And that was the positive thing about it. They rallied around him the same way they rallied around the young man at the University of Miami. You know, he, he led us to two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. And we ended up winning the game 14-12. to 12. So he did a good job. So, you know, it's one of those things where sometimes next man up just means that. Okay, let's go to the next one. And you talk about 
me when I played in the Orange Bowl, a lot of people don't remember. Well, you wouldn't because you weren't there yet, okay? But actually, my first start was against East Carolina in 87 when George Myra was hurt, you know, and then later on throughout that year, I made some other starts at other positions, but that was like the ultimate option. Yeah, because you, cause you played Sam. You played Sam a little bit. Yeah, and... I, played, I played all three. What Coach Wanstead told me was, Coach Wanstead said, if you want to get on the field, learn all three positions. So I basically backed up Rod, George, and Randy. So whichever one yeah. of those guys went down, I went in the game. So if Rod went down, I played for Rod. I played for Rod against Maryland, as a matter of fact. George went down, I played Mike. Randy went down, I played Will. But and then Crum came I in learned. and became, <clears throat> became the fifth linebacker. Because I uh, think Crum he, became the fourth linebacker. Crum, now, Crum was the man. Crum was All-American two years straight. So Crum got that. He, yeah. uh, he never got registered. Crum came in and played right away. Crum came in and played the Will position. So. Yeah, you know, you know what's funny, man. Me and, me and Hamlet talk about this all the time. So I remember we came in for the Freshman Institute, and uh, we was roommates. And so I remember we come out for that first little seven-on-seven workout in the summer, and we get back to the uh, to the dorm, and we was like, man, if we can't play this year, we suck. You see that dude in front of us, man? He got girl hips, <laughs> no muscles. <laughs> he's slow. You know what I'm talking about, right? You know, I'm talking about onion. And then we get to we get to the damn two days when y'all came in and him and George is running the meeting. It's like once that's like, Well, what do you think, Randy? I'm like, like, man, what the fuck? Then we go out on the field and him and Steve Wallace are just going back and forth. Watch the watch the waggle. It's a it's a counter. Hold up. I like we was like, Who is this dude? And then that's when you know, you start realizing, hey, the physicality is one thing, but you got to know the, the, totally the level. Yeah, yeah, and and I tell people, Kevin, tell I tell people all the time, and you know, <clears throat> I, t- I played two years in the NFL, and I tell my players, I said the reason I played two and I didn't play ten, I never became a student of the game. Now I knew my position. You know, I'm not talking about yeah. that. When I say student of the game is. I didn't study film the way I was supposed to study film. I wasn't able to do what Randy did, calling out, hey, this is a pro formation. They're going to run the you know, they're gonna run the ISO here. They're going to run this. Thing. Oh, it's a three-by-one situation. I became a student of the game when I became a coach. I'm not saying coaches didn't try to make me a student of the game. I'm saying I was freaking hard-headed and didn't want to learn, and that's why I only lasted two years in the NFL. But it goes back to exactly what you just said. People don't understand. This, this game is 90% mental, 10% physical. Play only lasts about – Four seconds. You got a pre-snap read and a post-snap read. In between yeah. there, you got to tackle somebody. <laughs> That's what it boils down to. <laughs> yeah. In your position, in your position, you got a pre-snap read and post-snap read. In between, in between there, you got to block somebody. So it's what? about your pre-snap read and your post-snap read, and in between there, it's about four seconds. But the rest of it, it's like ninety percent mental. You know that, and I know that. Yeah, and it's weird because uh, the little time that the year that I spent behind, you know, behind him, watching him and uh. Walsh, that kind of rubbed off on us young guys. You know, well, first of all, all you guys taught us how to watch film. I remember um, we played Notre Dame. We had a no class week, and I remember Coach Johnson said we had to be over there at nine o'clock. So we sitting in the meeting. The scout team is sitting in the meeting with uh, Mike, Red, and Brian, and them, and uh, Melvin, and them, and Coach Stevens, and. I remember Mike and them, they get all excited because they're looking at this one corner, 
And we like, why are they so excited? So Brett says, look at them. He got on high tops. He got them big hip pads in. And we was like, and? Okay, he ain't on his ankles. He ain't going to be able to turn. Them big old hip pads and them shoulder pads. His hips is bad. We're going we gonna to use him. And they, they did. And it's like, Ooh. it was little things like that that, you know, we picked up from Randy. Because Randy, we'd be sitting in the meeting, and he'd, he'd see something. He says, all right, they're going over there. And how do you know? Because see that guy there, look at the stands, da da da. He's like, damn. And, you know, it just rubbed off. And then I remember when I made the, the switch to offense, I was blessed enough that first year as I was learning the techniques that I, 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 had, the, I had Bobby Garcia there, and he was so – Damn smart, but he was so fucking quick too. I mean, he had yeah, great technique. You had him and the chauffeur. You had him and the chauffeur, and the chauffeur yeah. Because chauffeur yeah. was playing guard, yeah. yeah. And even though he was guard, he still had all of his center knowledge. But him yeah. and Bobby, and then they got me into watch. You know, that's when you start learning how to watch film. Because I would sit in there sometime with Bobby, and he'd be like, "All right, this, this, and this." And then, you know, when Coach Harrison came, well, he was there there. When when Bobby left and the next year it was me and Handy, uh, I started watching a little bit more film on my own because Handy was on his own program. And I was sitting there sometime with Coach Smith, even though, I got to be honest, I don't think we really got along with each other because, I you know, I kind of <laughs> kind of was on my own program. <laughs> well, you were kind of you kind of partial to Coach Keyhole too, so it's kind of rough. Coach Wise and Coach Keyhole, he, he, yeah, when you're partial yeah. to somebody, it's kind of rough. It's kind of hard. Plus, Coach Coach so, Smith was hey he he was a hillbilly. He was he was he was a knowledgeable hillbilly, but he was a hillbilly. And and it was a great. It, it was as much you, you know, Dag, you know, you know, Dagger well. Coach Edge came in and brought that offense. The wide receivers were so excited about that offense, but they were like, "What? There's gonna be three of us and one running back? Oh, okay. Let's oh, make man, this thing Lamar. happen. We can get we can get out of three point stand. We can get out of this three point stand and get a two point stand and all those things hey, happen. We open that offense up. You know what I know. Lamar talk about that all the time. About man, when they told me I had to, I ain't had to get in the stance no more because you know he was getting his ass jammed up at the line of scrimmage. Because he just, you so know, by the time he get up out of his pants. Yeah. Yeah, he's yeah, you got to be a special breed, man, to be able to get up out of that three-point stands without getting jammed. And Mike Mike and Brett and, and Brian Blades and Andre Brown and those cats was coming up out of them stands and wasn't even getting touched off the line sometimes. So, like I said, yeah, we, we had a special I mean, breed. That you know it. I know it. <laughs> so. Yeah, but, you know, uh, but, but to your point about the mentality, when I got to the NFL and I – uh, I was with the Rams. I was with two veteran centers, uh, and then we had a guy named Tom Newberry who played left guard. Our center was a big brute. He was a uh, Burn Brostick. He was from Washington. He was six three, about three fifteen. Great guy, just a brute. wasn't very smart. So Tom would make all the calls, and the thing for me was it was the exact same offense that we ran. At UM, but the terminology was different. So once you learn the terminology, I, shit, I used to fall asleep in the meeting. He he called on me. I'm like, ah, blah 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 blah. I said, all right, go back to sleep, cause you know I was, you know, I knew I wasn't playing. I mean, they they had me getting ready every week just in case. But you know, but Tom, you know, he was such a he would you know point out stuff, and then you learn Tom, about Tom went to Tom went to Notre Dame, right? Tom went to Notre Dame. Didn't no, no, no. He went to uh, I forget where he went. He didn't go to Notre Dame, but okay. 
Um, okay. No, you're thinking about Grunhard. Okay. Who was I with the you. Chiefs. I got you. Yeah, Grunhard, he ended up going to the Chiefs. But, but then, because... Uh, after that, I ended up playing the Canadian League, uh, you know, and and uh, ended up playing in the league before the XFL, the Spring League, and it was funny. I learned how to read coverage. I learned how to read coverage when I was with the Rams. It's like, you know, and it, it, to your point, it was like, um, you know, you you understand two gap, one gap, you know. Okay, I'm looking up. If I see two safeties, I know they either in cover two, cover four, man free, and Right. Now I know where the blitz is coming from. It just it's yeah, like the it. game slows down, but it takes a, it takes a while. And I can only imagine. Remember when Geno got thrown to the Wolves at, at, at Tallahassee? He, but but he had a little bit more cushion because he had them two cupcake games. And then he got thrown out there. He had a cupcake there. against Michigan State. He had Michigan State. Remember that's when. Uh, that's yeah, he hurt. came he in off the Michigan he State. came in off the bench. Yeah, then yeah. It was Cincinnati. It was Cincinnati, and I can't forget the memory. And then San Jose State. State. Oh, San Jose yeah, State. Okay, yeah. San Jose State. And, yeah. And then, yeah, and they were going to go play Florida State. And we, it was crazy, man. It was The thing about that game, man, is I just remember the turnovers we had. We had, an, we had an opportunity to win that game, and we did. But, you know, the great thing about it, I always tell Dexter, you know, even though he put the flag on that, we won that championship that year. So y'all can put the flags on the head. Y'all can do whatever you want to do. You know, bottom line is, you know, we were the ones that, you know, went and got the national championship. And, you know, everybody oh, yeah, complained yeah. about it. Notre Dame complained about it. Everybody, why they have it now. So, bottom line, we beat, we beat who we needed to beat in order to get it. I tell you, it was funny because um, I remember coming home in January and I was in the mall. And Florida State, that year they had about four or five guys from my area, and I ran there like two or three of them in the mall. And they, yeah, we whooped y'all last. I'm like, hey, man, look at my finger. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, read, read between the lines. And, you know, yeah. I tell, I was telling, um, I was telling some kids on the team, I said, man, there's no greater feeling than to go into Tallahassee and to silence that crowd. And I got a chance to witness that twice in my five years yeah. there. Because in 87 and that 26-25 that, that, uh, game, it was eerie. But, man, let me tell you something. In 91, when they went wide right one, there was a hush over that stadium. And all you could hear was us yelling and screaming. It was that quiet. I mean, they were just in shock. Yeah. Stunned. Yeah, man. You know it's a special feeling when you do that. And it's even more special feeling. I'm not so upset they don't play them anymore is when you can go into Gainesville and stop oh, that man. You, know, you can stop that chop. Well, Gainesville, I respect Florida State because we play them every year. But Florida tapped out and took us off the schedule. That's just some whole shit. Well, you and know why they did that, though, right? I mean, and you gotta, they had a valid point. They did have a valid point. They said, how can it be fair that we play Miami and the SEC schedule? Okay, that was the well, that, that's why they – I'm just saying why they did it. I'm not saying – Well, saying, my question I is – stop. My question is, okay, you're saying why is it fair to play Miami and the SEC? Why is it fair for you to play Florida State in the SEC, SEC schedule too? Hey, I'm with you. I'm with you 100%. But I guess I mean, Florida I has played Florida State, you know, I guess because of, of the Florida and Miami is kind of like – 
You know, we were our own entity for years. You know that we were independent. We didn't belong to any conference. It was either national championship or bust for us. So yeah. we looked we're looked at differently because when we we're winning national championships, we weren't affiliated with any other conference. It was just independent and we knew, okay, either we're winning this national championship or we're not gonna get any of that. So we made sure that we won the national championship, but we were always uh in contention for the national championship. Yeah, and you know, it's been a tough fifteen to eighteen years. Um and, you know, I, I've gone to a lot of the games over the years, a lot of the home games. And I think, uh, you know, it's funny as I think that the guys that go to the games, uh, our alumni, we, we kind of take this situation the way they got us now in Hard Rock for granted because I was talking – because Corey Simon, who played with the Eagles and was a Florida State alumni, he has been torturing me. And we were talking about uh, next year, and I said, yeah, we're going to be sitting in that suite. Uh, behind the end zone as we pound y'all skull in. He says, wait a minute, what you mean, sweet? I said, yeah, we got a player sweet. And I was explaining how, you know, you just got to feel, you just got to go on, go to the website and, you know, put your, put your, you know, your thing in with your tickets and your guests. He said, no, nah, we ain't got nothing like that. And I was like, wow. He said, well, we, like, definitely so they, we, we definitely take it for granted. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, I mean the funny part about it is the big thing is uh, Rick Rimmer was. I was like, Rick, what's up with the chips and the drink? Oh man, they they the the, the Hard Rock is charging thirty two dollars a bag for some tortilla chips. He oh, says I can't way. do it. Oh yeah, they got they. I wouldn't do it either. But but that that view you can't beat it. I mean you're behind. it's like watching uh, <clears throat> the end zone copy live. I mean, you can see everything developing. I mean, and and I think our players have gotten spoiled since we've been to Hard Rock because ever since we've been in Hard Rock, we've had that suite. And before it wasn't bad because you could either go on the sideline or you could have two tickets to sit in this, when we was in the Orange Bowl. So right. they've always taken care of us, you know, because, I, you know, they at least understand, hey, this is not possible without y'all. I have, when's the last time you've been to the campus? I haven't been. Last time I went was, uh, whew, I want to say before the pandemic. So it must have been like either 19, I think it was 19 or 18 was the last time I went, to be honest with you. I haven't been well, back in a minute. I'll tell you like this here. When you, when you get a chance to go back, you're going to think you're on Mars because that is a whole Oh, that last time I saw yeah, last time I was there, I was on Mars. The only thing that probably disappointed me was last time I was there is, when I went into the indoor, they didn't have a picture of Jerome Brown up. That's probably the only thing that probably disappointed me about going in the indoor because, you know, Jerome Brown was a staple in that program. Yeah, I understand he didn't play as long in the NFL because of the tragedy of his, his death, but at the same time, for him not to be represented at the University of Miami in that indoor facility, it's probably, you know, kind of like a, it's kind of a travesty to me personally. And, you know, it's no fault well, to anybody. I'm not saying that. I just think that Jerome is – a staple in the University of Miami's program, one of the best players, if not the best player to ever play with. Well, you know what's funny? Because, you know, I'm good, me and Sap good friends, and he talks about, you know, when he names all-time great defensive tackles, he puts Jerome ahead of himself. And I've been blessed enough to see all of the great ones play. And I'm like, that's a close one. But Jerome, I, to me, was the table setter. I still remember my senior year, I took a unofficial. I, I went to every 
state schools game. I went to Florida, Florida State. I took all, you know, they give you the tickets as a recruit. And I went to a game at each one of the stadiums. And I remember at the Florida game, you know, they had all those players sitting there, and we right behind the bench. So he chases the running back out of bounds and into the bench, and he, you know, he dove at him, and he's on the ground. He gets up, and he's walking off the sideline with his hands on his hips. And some one of the one of the little staff says, "Your fat ass tied," and he's walking, and he stops right before he gets, you know, to the numbers, turns around. <laughs> And walks right up to Galen Hall and says, but I'm kicking your motherfucking ass. And then walk back. Stand Dick Galen Hall down and then walk back to the – and I thought to myself, I want to play with him. That's – that's that was JB, and man. every one of us, all the recruits was like, that nigga raw. Man, he raw. Jesus. And then, of course, he would commence to wreck shop the rest of the game. That but, was JB, man. Uh, the thing about it. Like, you take the 1986 uh, Fiesta Bowl, the one we lost, and the one I can't believe we lost. If you ever go back and watch that game, I'm I'm being honest, man. There were times they literally had three people blocking Jerome. Yes. And stuff, and they had the guard, the tackle, and the fullback trying to block this cat. And he was destroying everything in the backfield. He was playing out of his mind. And that's how he played. He's just an unbelievable football player. I, and, I, you know, I respect Sapp immensely. You know, obviously, Sapp's one of the best ever do too, but – you know, I mean, Jerome was special. And those are the two always they always jump out of me is Jerome and him and of course Tez. You know, those are the three that jump out of me. I'm not saying Vince isn't good, I'm not saying any of those guys are good. I'm saying those are the three guys that jump out of me. It's this Jerome, then Tez, then Sap. Those are the three that jump out of me when we talk about defensive tackles. Yeah. I mean, um I remember that first summer, that first spring when Erickson came in. Y'all didn't let us score a touchdown in the scrimmage. And I remember Coach Smith was cussing <laughs> us out after every scrimmage. And that was the most difficult spring for me because that's when they switched me to O-line. And, I'm, and you know, they switched the guards. You know, the, you know, you got strong side and weak side. And so on one side you got Russell, who is, you know, got 100 moves. So you have to be mm-hmm. up a little bit higher to be able to maneuver. But then if you go to the other side, you had Cortez, who was lower mm-hmm. than Snake Belly at 330 pounds, and he was running through you like a like a rhinoceros. And then behind them was Jimmy Jones and Shane Curry, Absolutely. who Absolutely. it was. Uh, Greg Marshall on the outside. And- <laughs> oh, then you had Big Caesar on third. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah. I remember the first one-on-one I went to. When they first moved me, I remember, I'll never forget this, man. I, I I was coming up, and they were literally fighting to get over me because they knew I didn't know what I was doing. And, I mean, that's the first three, four uh, days of one-on-ones was just, oh, man, I will go back to my dorm. Like, I don't believe this shit. But it, goes back, but it goes back to what you said earlier, though, Kev. It goes back to the fact that that's why game day was kind of a game day off for you because those yeah. are the kind of practices that we had. Our practices were full of competition, period. You know, inside run was a bloodbath. Nine on seven was a bloodbath. And seven oh. and seven on seven, you better get down. You better catch it and get down because you're going to get your head taken off. Everything was a competition. Randy, you know, Randy Bethel and I were roommates. You know, Randy was a tight end, you know, but I was a linebacker. But on, on the practice field, we go at it on a regular basis. I mean, there are times Randy catch the ball and throw it in my face and said, bro, you can't handle me. And the next time I'm <laughs> knocking him out and jacking him up. And, you know, but that's how it was. That's why on game day, man, it was like, this thing slowed down for us because this is how we practice all the time. I mean, I've never day. forget. 
I'll tell you a crazy story. When Coach Erickson first came, and uh, we were getting ready to go out to practice, and I went up to his office. I said, Coach, can I talk to you a little bit? He's like, yeah, Tiger, you can talk. I said, Coach, I just want you to know, you know, we practice a little different than what you're used to. And Coach Erickson like, Tiger, do what you do. I said, are you sure? Because I'm telling you, this is this is competition out here. We practice different. And he, he said, Tiger, you guys do what you do. And and that's why I think we were successful when he first came there because he understood that, okay, this is how these guys are. If I can just make sure they play within what we want them to play within, we can be national champions. And that was the mindset that Coach Erickson had. You know, talking about when we when he came out there, he saw us going at each other. He saw us. He was like, man, this is a different level of practice. And that was a great thing about. It. And that was an outstanding thing about it. He understood that coming in, and that's why I had so much respect for Coach Erickson when he came in because he knew what he came into, and he came in and understood. Okay, let me work with these guys. Let, I'm, I'm going to come in here. I'm not going to try to change everything. I'm not going to try to go in here with a strong hand. Let me work with these guys. And if I work with them, I think we're winning that championship. And that's what he did. And that's why I respect the man so much. Well, I think one of the most uh, trend-setting and generational things he did that that nobody really, I guess everybody took for granted was, all right, obviously he was bringing in his offense. Mind you, Gary Stevens' offense was way ahead of the college game, but his offense was right next to it. But on defense, not only did he keep our defense, but here's the key mm-hmm. He kept the terminology, too. And the one thing I learned, because Sepp likes to always remind me that I played in and got cut in every league, which is true. <laughs> the one thing, hey, that's what friends are for, man. They, they build you up. This, this is the same guy who introduced me as a three-time national champion to people. So, hey, you know, I take the bad with the good. But one thing I learned is the terminology that I learned at UM that first was the first offense I was in. And so every offense after that, I would just translate and and, and and assimilate that offense into what that play was in Erickson's offense. And then uh, when I was in the World League the second year, we had a guy that had the West Coast offense. And, you know, that offense, like, Basically, for a good portion up until maybe a couple, a few years ago, if you learned the West Coast offense, you could pretty much play in 60% of the league because, you know, Bill Walsh had so many disciples and they never changed the terminology. And that's the one thing that I saw is when you come into a new situation, if, you know, it takes you a minute to learn the terminology. And I got a lesson on that when I was with the Rams. I remember we, um, you know, you had the final cuts. And so then that Friday, they brought Billy E up, Eric Hayes, your, mm-hmm. your hometown homeboy. They That's bring in. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he your cousin? Mm-hmm. I did not Absolutely. know that. Billy E. Eric Hayes, they brought, Billy, cousins. they brought Billy in on a Friday night. So we come out for Saturday morning walkthrough, and he played Sunday. And I remember sitting in the locker room that Monday morning, and so we had an assistant strength coach guy by the name of Greg Gaines who was with Chuck Knox in Seattle. And he said, and he was a country dude. He was from Tennessee. Hey, man, this is the same defense. 
He didn't have to learn nothing. It's the same terminology. And then I realized that after I bounced around a couple of teams, it's like if you go to a place and it's the same terminology, you just step right in. It's like, oh, okay. You know, it might be a little tweak here, but for the most part, it's like, oh, I know this. And yeah, no doubt. And let's go. It, I mean, now, when you were with you, because you were you were with Cincinnati and Seattle, right? Yeah. Were those but I was, it's, it's weird. I, no, they weren't similar. Uh, Dick LeBeau was a 3-4 defense, and when I went to Seattle, it was a 4-3 defense. So the situation was crazy. Uh, got released by Cincy, picked up by Seahawks for three weeks, then got released and went back to Cincy. So it was like in the same year. So I was with, I was typically out with Cincy for two years. It wasn't like a three-week stand. I went yeah, and my cousin. Because Eric, Eric yeah. was with the uh, Seahawks at the time. Me and him got for three weeks, and then I went back. Yeah, so you had a you had a taste of Chuck Knox. Yeah, well, no, it was uh, was it Chuck or was it? I can't remember. Was it Tom? Man, it was Chuck. I think. It was, yeah, it was Chuck. Chuck. I, I, yeah, I and remember. so, but I think it was Chuck. And then your your linebacker coach at Cincinnati was our linebacker coach at the Rams, the little shelf, uh, stubby white guy. I think I his name was Dick something. No, yeah, Dick LeBeau. Yeah, no, 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 no. That was it. Was a uh, Dick Seltzer, not Dick LeBeau. Dick LeBeau. Yeah, was, Dick was, Seltzer. Dick Seltzer was all he did coach. was yell. He was yell. <clears throat> but the thing about it, you know, because I always tell people, like I was telling you, Dick was a student in the game. Again, I was just, I was just a young knucklehead. Thought he knew every damn thing and wouldn't listen. He tried to teach me, you know, more about the game than I knew. Like I told you, I knew about reading guards and stuff like that. But that's not being a student of the game. You know, being a student of the game was recognizing formations, snap counts, when the blitz, is the clock is the clock going down. You know, all those things become essential when you're talking about playing the linebacker position. But Dick also was a heck of a coach. But so was so was Dick LeBeau. So it was one of those things. But, no, there was no similarities between the 3-4 defense ran in Cincy and the 4-3 defense that was running uh, Seattle. Wow, yeah, you did have all. Well, you know what's funny? Because we ran a 4-3, ran a two-gap 4-3. Uh, first and second down, and then on third down, they went to the one gap because they brought in, they let Kevin, they let Kevin um, uh, Green get on that edge and just do what he do. Oh, okay. But the one thing about the Mike linebacker in that defense we ran, he was basically the quarterback. And to your point, he had to know everything. And we had a guy named Fred Strickland, and we had another guy named Larry Cam. Larry Cam. God bless his soul. He passed away a few years ago. He was 6'4", 250, probably ran a 4'9". Uh, not very athletic, but he was good at taking on blocks. But his thing was he knew that defense in and out. Fred was 6'2", 250, ran a 4'6", was a hidden machine, was dumb as rocks. So they balanced it out. They played them both. But Larry started because Larry was, you know, because we started two rookie defensive tackles. So we had to have Larry in there to tell everybody where to go. And uh, I played mine. Just, I played with a guy like that named Leo Barker, man. And Leo was from New Mexico. Oh, 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 oh. Mexico. Leo Barker, he came to he he came to the Rams too. Okay, Leo was with the Rams, and also played with a guy by the name of Leon White, uh, who was also Leon White came. Leon White, Tracy, uh, what you call it, Tracy Martin. We had we had a Mini Jim Scow, we had half a Cincinnati. Oh, Jim before. came there. Okay, Jim came yeah. there too. Yeah, Jim was Jim was also a BYU guy. And then Kevin Walker. You know, me and Kevin played next to each other inside back. But obviously, my boy Jay Fran. 
you know, James Francis and I got drafted the same year. You know, Jason J. Fred came out of Baylor. Well, so, first you know, of all, I played with a lot of great guys, man. Yeah, you did. You know, I lived in Houston for 15 years, and James Francis will always affectionately be known to me as 5-0. Because, man, let me tell you something. When he was on top, he threw some of the greatest parties in Houston ever. Oh, man. Five <laughs> oh dog, man. Matter of fact, man, when I get off, man, I'm going to send him a message and tell him I talk to you. That's my dog, man. Five <laughs> oh, is the coolest dude. I need to give my man I need to give my man a call. Yeah, you know when I even when I when I got let go, I would go back to Cincy and go hang out with James and go hang out with Kev and all those guys. And I was trying to figure out what I want to do with my life. Those are guys I would hang out with. I go hang out with James. He's like, all right, man, you can you take a call, but you got to come pick me up after the game. I said, yeah, bro, I got you. Ain't no problem. We good. So great situation. Well, man. great guys. Well, when I was um, my rookie year, my roommate uh, during training camp was a kid named Brian Townsend and he went to Michigan and he ended up he got released and Cincinnati picked him up and uh, this is 92 and man what was funny was what you're saying about knowing the defense he had to be he was a backup middle linebacker behind uh, Fred and Larry and we had this uh, this free agent kid from Northwestern named Homeco Homeco couldn't spell his name, but for whatever reason, Dick Selsa fell in love with him. And I remember one time we was in a we was in a scrimmage against San Diego, and he got on Brian because he was like, Brian, you know, you know what you're doing. You were supposed to tell Homeco what he was doing, and I was like, wait a minute, hold on. <laughs> so you you penalizing him because the man next to him don't know what to do, and he didn't tell him what to do. I mean, come on, man, stop that. And, of course, he cuts Brian, and he keeps um, he keeps uh, Homeco. Actually, they were planning to bring Brian back on the practice squad, but Cincinnati picked him up and put him on the active roster, which was cool because he was from Cincinnati, so it was like a going-home thing to him. But, you know, the pro game, you know, you, you know it just – you had mental – you know, you had – Back then, them two-a-days, if you could survive them two-a-days and still learn, and then having to play against monsters and try to learn it, it it was just, I think, the ultimate mental test that I don't think is is around in today's game. And that's why it's funny, you know, we talk about what, you know, Emory Williams was going through. Um, They've softened up training camp so bad now that, I don't think these kids go through enough adversity in training camp and, you know, stress that when they when they get in the game and the pressure situation, a lot of them fold up like a like a lawn chair. Oh, agreed. I agree with you 100%. And being a head coach, it's tough to try to figure out when you can scrimmage. I mean, like a true all-out Jimmy Johnson, 130-play scrimmage. And when you got to pull off because you got to do 70% live this day, you do forty five percent live this day. You gotta have a wait a minute. Sales. They gotta, they they have a percentage that you have to go by. Oh yeah, as far as absolutely, absolutely. What the hell? Yeah, so it's it's and that's the crazy part about it because that and that to me, tackling is horrible nowadays, and that's a part of it because you're not allowed to really tackle. You know, you can have I think during training camp you can have I think three full scrimmages. Well, I mean, like there's all lot. I ain't talking about, you know, inside runs live and then you do team, it's a thud. I'm talking about all lot scrimmages, you have three of them. But even then, you're yeah. kind of nervous about it because guys that's aren't used to hitting each other. 
And you know, no, they're like not. I just told you we'd have lost. We'd have lost all our quarterbacks, so it's kind of hard to hit quarterbacks because now you're worrying about them getting. But they need to get hit a little bit. They need to get a little pressure on just so they can get used to it, you know, in the game. But it's hard to do. Yeah, I mean, over the years, because you know, after I stopped playing and I moved back to uh, Florida, I would, I would. When Hurley was working at UM, I basically lived at school. I would go up there and see Hurley every day. And, you know, to Al's credit, you know, he set the program back in some ways, but he was real cool about letting us just show up. We could hang out, you know, because, um, you know, especially in the summer when he first got there. And um, now, of course, you can't do that in any school. You can't just show up. And it's funny because some of the, you know, you, you've been in our group chat. Some of the players feel like, oh, they don't want us around. And um, me and Alonzo was talking about this. It's like, hey, man, it's a new day and age. You just can't walk up on any campus anymore and just walk in because there's some clowns out there. So, yeah, you know, but, and, but but the reality is all you got to do is call. And they, you know, oh, okay, you coming by and then they'll have you a little pass. Well, the, the one thing I can tell you, and I haven't been, I haven't been back there since Mario got there. That's probably what I yeah. say. I don't think I've been there since Mario's been there, if I can recollect. But when Mark was there, Mark, I never had any problems getting on campus. I never had any issues. You know, I would call Mark or I'd text Mark after games and grab the same thing I do with, uh, you know, with Mario. You know, I'll text him, hey, man, stay strong, stay positive, stay focused. You know, but brother, what people fail to understand, man, and you can say what you want to say, man, it ain't easy. You know, winning football nope. games is not easy, man. And as a head coach, you know, I'm at a much smaller level than Mario, you know, could even imagine. I'm at a small level. But the the pressure, I wouldn't say, not with me, but the pressure that's put on him is just is crazy. And what people fail to understand, it's not about coaching anymore. It's about managing personalities. And I think, uh, what's the basketball coach's name? Michael Jordan's basketball coach. Uh, Phil, Phil Jackson. Jackson. Phil Jackson stated it well when he said, it's not about, it's about managing these personalities. You're dealing with 110 yeah. to 120 different personalities when it comes to players. Now, we're not even talking about the coaches' personalities, the equipment managers' personalities, staff personalities, trainers' personalities. And the head coach has to deal with all of them on a daily basis. And he got to find the right mixture in order to make this program successful. So when people, you know, get on Mario, he can't do this, he can't do that. The bottom line is, man, winning is not easy. So when you put yourself in a position where you can win seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve games, that you're doing something. I mean, I, I'm impressed with what Nick Saban has been able to do, not because they're winning, but because of the personalities they've been dealing with through all these years, and he's been able to maintain them and keep them focused and doing the things they're supposed to do. Because that's the toughest part of being the head coach, in my opinion. That's my opinion. Yeah, I agree. My opinion only. So, well, the one thing that you don't see, the the one dynamic that you probably definitely don't have to deal with, that Mario and people like Nick Saban, uh, and and Norville Norville is going to start to see it now too, is professional expectations, because. You may have a kid, and, and I'm going to use an example that's on our team right now. We got a kid that he is the epitome of big-time players making big-time plays at big-time games because he seems to just show up against the big team, 
Jacoby Joyce, my wide receiver number three. Oh, I thought it was my Bane Jr. Okay, but go ahead. <laughs> Hold on. First of all, he's on a whole other level. <laughs> but here's the thing about Jacoby Joyce. He, he was receiver of the week in ACC. Five catches, 153 yards, two touchdowns. Did the same thing. He's done the same thing every big game. Now, hopefully his family is in a well enough off financial situation that the hanger owners don't come back, come by and start saying, yo, you need to leave for the draft because he's only 175 pounds. So realistically, um, he ain't going in the first round or the second round right now for the third round because yeah, he's had a good year, but this is one of the greatest, this is one of the better wide receiver drafts in a long time. So it's like nobody is telling these kids because so many of the family members is just, they just want you to get to the league. They don't care. They All they see is league minimum is $500,000 right now. And most of these people, a lot of these kids, families have never seen that much money in their life. Well, realistically, if it's 500000 depending on what state you're in, especially if you're in California and New York, that's really only $300,000. Before you even get your check, you've lost $200,000. You, know, you know what's so funny? You know so funny about what you're saying, Kev, is, you know, when I got into coaching, I was telling people, my mission statement as a coach is to create an environment on and off the field to continue what families have done and help these guys become better men, better husbands, and better fathers. My dad, when I got drafted, what my dad said to me is the exact opposite of what you're saying. This is what my dad told me. This is what he told his friends, you know, because when I got drafted, my, his friends were like, man, you can leave, quit your job now. Your boy didn't got – my dad looked at him and said, man, you done lost your mind. That's my <laughs> son's money. That ain't my money. Wow. If my son want to give me some money, he can give me some money. I raised him. It was my job and my wife's job to raise him. It was not his job to raise us. That's my son's money. He don't owe me a thing. I gave him life. And so my dad, my dad said to me, so when you say stuff like that to me, it it irritates me because there are people out there that think that because my son made it to the NFL, oh, he should give me some money. He owes me something. No, he doesn't. And my dad told me this. I'm not telling you anything. My dad told me, boy, you don't owe me a thing. I chose to bring you in this world. You didn't ask to come into this world, and I showed you how to make a life for yourself. I raised you. It's not your job to raise me. But there's so many people that don't think like that, and that's what my dad told me no, when I don't. got drafted. Well, I mean, that's, that's because what, everybody, and, some of these clear. kids are being put in the situation of being the savior. I mean, it, especially in South Florida, you know, you get in the little league, and it's like, ooh. Okay, he is going to be a star. And then that's when, you know, you have a couple of little league coaches say, yeah, he's going to be a star. So now the family plotting on him. Well, also, the little league coach is plotting on him too. So he's keeping receipts every time he took him to McDonald's or worked him out. So then when, 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 when the scholarships come around and, you know, back before NIL, you know, the bags, the under-the-table under bags from places like Bama and Clemson, Ohio State, whatever, you know, um, they get in the bag, so, oh, wait a minute, you got to go to this school because they're giving us a bag. And, you know, uh, as a matter of fact, it's funny. We had a kid that got drafted last year that transferred back to us, Tyreek Stevenson. I'll never forget, he was on the Under Armour game, and he picked his school, and 
his mama was doing the money dance because he picked Georgia because Georgia had given a bag under the table, but you could tell he wasn't happy. And of course, I I um, I, um, I found out you know because I knew some people at Georgia. As soon as he got to Georgia, they knew he was trying to leave, and they was finding ways to try and keep him happy. But after that second year, he was like he went on back home because hey, the money was gone. You know the money. You know family had done one, and he went to where he wanted to go, which was at UM. And now he's playing in the league, and I'm sure his, you know, his family, because he had five sisters. It was him, his mama, and like four or five sisters. So he was feeding the family. And oh no, you know, that, and, and it happened. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. There's no doubt it happens. I'm just telling you what my father told me. And the travesty but is. But that's a great is, philosophy. This, yeah, but the, the travesty is there's so many, so many people who think that. If their child makes it big, they should give them some. But you know and I know, man, there ain't but 1,696 jobs in the NFL. That's it, 1,696, yeah. period. Ain't no more than that. And they're not getting rid of 1,696 guys every year. So, of course, if you make it, man, you may last two years. <clears throat> those guys that last yeah. five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, 10, 11, 12, those guys are students of the game. Those guys know the game. Those guys are working their butts off to make the roster every year. It isn't it ain't given to you. You gotta earn it every year. Technically sound. And then there's a Absolutely. couple of just a couple of freaks. Monsters. There's a couple of both. Yeah, you always have monsters. Yeah, you can always you can always have those guys. But for the most part, like you said, these guys are technically sound, they're smart football players. And people just bank on these young men getting and it just it ain't just athletics, also as musicians and everything else. And and you know that's that's what it boils down to, and that's what people need to start understanding. Man, these young men don't owe you anything. You know, my, no. like I said, my dad was like, "You don't owe me a dime, boy. It, it, that's your money." And, and my mom used yeah. to tell me all the time because I, I I still don't have kids. I'm married. I've been married 21 years to my wife Tammy, but I don't have kids. Never had kids. And my mom used to always tell me, "Baby, when you eat, your family eats," because that's how yeah. my money was my money. I have to, now. You have I gave my mom and dad years. money. Yeah, I gave. Actually, I got a hundred or something. But yeah, I get what you're saying. Now I gave yeah. my mom and dad money, but my mom and dad never said, "Hey, I need you to pay for this. I need you to pay for this." You know, I, I'm I've known horror stories where moms have just been like, "Oh, you need to put this in my account." You know, this is what I did for you, and I'm, I'm like, "Our dads would do the same thing." It's just it's just crazy to me that man people bank on stuff like that. But a lot of people just live vicariously through their kids. You know that. And I know that. Yeah. So that's how they're going. That's how they, you know, that's how they roll. Yeah. Well, you know, the funny thing about, like, we talking about how hard it is to win, you know, because, um, you know, me and Mario, we didn't just play together uh, at UN. We played together two years in the World League in Amsterdam. And um, I remember before he took the FIU job, I mean, you know, I was talking to him then. And, uh, you know, we kept in touch over the years. And, when he came back, he was like, man, the culture, it's it's gone. We got to get it back. It's like, it, it, he said, you won't even recognize this place. And so it's year two, and there's been a drastic improvement in the attitude of the kids and the culture, but there's still some remnants out there that, you know, you still got to, you know, you still got to cut, cut some fat off. And I think by year three, the culture will be completely 
uh, not completely, but for the most part, changed. And then I think the kids that he's bringing in, like I, I remember last week, Mark Fletcher was talking about it was it was his dream to come to UM and be a part of the the solution, you know. And the good thing mm-hmm. about being you know a coach in a in a place like Miami is that you have so much high school talent that there's going to be a couple guys that slip through the cracks that nobody knew about that maybe your staff knew, and they're going to come in, and they're going to surprise everybody. But they was good, but it just was so much talent that, you know, they slipped through the cracks. Well, let me ask, let me and, ask you a question, Kevin. Let me yeah. ask you a question because you're, you're talking about talent. You're talking about you're trying to build a culture, <clears throat> and you're trying to do something different but still win football games. Not every talented player has the character or the attitude that you want to deal with. So you may be letting some of the good talent go, but any player that thinks that he's special, like I I tell people, we don't have golden calves on our team. There ain't no player on this team that we can't do without. I'm not worshiping any young man that walks through that door, and I think that's where people make a mistake sometimes when it comes to these young men. I tell you a crazy story because this is the problem with a lot of athletes and a lot of people in general. Years ago, I'm watching a game between Florida State and Clemson. Years ago, like in the nineties, and I never forget a player from Florida State. His shoe came off. He ran to the sideline, put the shoe on the ground. Somebody bent down to put a shoe on. So that's the kind of treatment that athletes get. They're used to yeah. people doing stuff for them. So when they're great yeah. athletes, it's like, wait, what, wait a minute, what do you mean I can't do that? What do you mean I can't do that? That's why you got football players all of America with a bunch of parking tickets. Because why? Because they think they can do what they want to do. And I should say athletes, not football players. And and that's the issue is a lot of times you're trying to get out some of these great players. They got so many people on them. They want to get on TV and put the hat on and all that stuff lasts about 15 minutes. But now you got to deal with the character. Now you got to deal with the attitude problem. Now you got to deal with all that stuff. And you're trying to build the foundation of a program, but now you got to deal with this nonsense because he thinks, well, I was a five-star. Okay, but you ain't playing like a five-star player, well, so why am I dealing and with that it? And uh, that was something that me and him talked about. Uh, it's like there was some guys last year who didn't buy in, and he had to get rid of some guys. And, you know, I guess this year it's more of what you're talking about and it was funny. I was looking at the, the post practice uh, uh, press conference uh, from today with uh, one of the offensive linemen, and you know they went right at him about Tyler Van Dyke. It's like, well, you know, do you have any confidence in Tyler? And they asked Jacoby George the same thing, and you know, they said we got confidence in whoever is the quarterback. It's the University of Miami because we're one big family. And 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 there's Cooper, that's the offensive lineman. He said we're going to prop. Tyler up if we have to. So we're going to give him as much time as he needs to to find an open person because our job is to not let him get touched. And it's like, you know, um, it's a selfless, selflessness thing. And, it's, and I'm going to tell you something. It's funny because I was talking to somebody about this. When I first got to UL, we ran them 110s. And I remember, okay, this was after we won that first national championship when I was there in 87, and we come back 
in January, we had that first meeting, and I remember Coach Johnson came in, and we was all in there, everybody, us, the assistant coach, everybody just, you know, waiting for him to come in, having, having a good time, and he comes in all mad, talking about people ain't going to play. Well, we just got back to school. What are you talking about? So then I remember the first stations we had, we were supposed to do the six stations, seven minutes, and then we were supposed to do eight, one, tens. And I remember that day, Randall Hill and Kenny Berry fell out. We ended up doing 22 one-tens. And I, and I remember the rule was you couldn't bend over. If you bent over, it was an extra uh, one-ten. And I remember we was about at 14, 15, and everybody's looking around like, we ain't going to make it. And then I remember Randy Shannon said, go back to back, meaning, you know, you lean up yeah, against lean my up back. Against I lean up against yeah, yeah. But – Years later, I thought about, I was thinking, I was telling somebody this, uh, the story about this, about how we used to run this, and I thought to myself, I get exactly what he was doing. You know what he was doing? He was having us bond together as Absolutely. a team. Absolutely. And it was, he was getting rid against, of all the against clicks. Him. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, not just that, but against the fatigue. Because you got to think about Absolutely. it. When you're tired and you know you can't bend over, you won, you can't let your team down. Okay, exactly. I got to stand up. I, I don't know this dude over here, but his back and my back are about to hit each other, and we're going to keep each other up. And then at the end he of the He made us unite. Yeah, he made us yes. unite because that's what we had to do in order to make the 110s. We had to unite and all that. He was driving us crazy. So it was like, okay, we could talk about him when we're done, but let's get these 110s done. And he, Coach, Coach Johnson was keep getting Coach Johnson was a psychology major. So I mean, he, he was exactly a genius. What he was doing. Absolutely. Uh, oh, I don't Absolutely. know you. I don't know you. Remember that same meeting I was talking. About? Remember he came in and said, "Hey, look to the left of you. Look to the right of you. We see right of you. Somebody ain't gonna be here. That's it. That's right. Somebody ain't gonna be here. That I was mean, every year. Your scholarship. Is, your scholarship is one year renewable. Reminded us on renewable. a regular basis. Your scholarship and, is one and, year renewable. So let me ask you a question. Do you ever use the one-year renewable? Because nothing's changed. They still one-year renewable. Oh, constantly. Constantly. There's no doubt about it. Constantly. You know, but again, most guys now, you don't have to worry about it, but transfer portal. And I, and, I, and I tell guys all the time, I don't have a problem with transfer portal. I think the transfer portal is a great thing. If you, if you utilize it correctly, if you don't utilize it correctly, you can hurt yourself. If you're a freshman yeah. and you go somewhere and you don't like it, Okay, go in the transfer portal because it's not going to hurt you because you're a freshman. But if you're a junior about to get his degree and you don't know if you're going pro and you jump in the transfer portal, now all your credits don't transfer to the next school. Oh, yeah. You put yourself behind the eight ball, and now you just hurt yourself, and you don't know the rules of the transfer portal. If you're a grad guy, perfect. I mean, grad guy, do what you need to do. But the biggest problem is a lot of people don't educate themselves on the transfer portal, I had a young man, uh, I'll never say his name, I had a young man going transfer portal from here. So him and his dad, educate yourselves on the transfer portal before you do this. Uh, coach, it's the best thing for us. We're going to do it. Okay. See you later. Well, he had already transferred from a four-year university to here. So he couldn't well, transfer that was his one time. time. That was his one-time transfer. He didn't understand that. But he just thought he could just jump in the portal because he was a good player. He was going to get picked up. And he got stuck. And he had to walk on somewhere. Oh, it's a lot of people wow. in purgatory in that transfer portal. Oh, uh, bro, if 3,000 go in there, 300 get picked up. And the mother, yeah, the mother, the mother 2,700 stuck like Chuck. 
And that's, and that's and the problem. They all jump in there. Their parents don't let them know what's going on. They, I'm telling you, that's the biggest issue. Is people don't educate themselves. They just think that, like, when the young man went in the portal, you know, his mom called me and said, Coach, I was under the understanding if he went in the portal and then get up, he just come back to you. No, oh, ma'am, that ain't the understanding. That ain't it. Yeah. Well, you know, what's other, uh, something else I found out, okay, a new coach, like, I'm going to use Dion. Dion has 18 months to tell you to get the hell on for whatever reason. He don't need a reason to say, hey, I, I'm not feeling you. You got to go. I need that scholarship. And I was like, because well, I guess the reason is that I guess you coaches, y'all said, look, you know, you you having us come in and take these programs over, and then we got to deal with all these personalities and these bad habits from the prior staff. But then it's going to take us at least two years to weed out all of the, the you know, the bad seeds. But then if we ain't showed no progress in two years, y'all trying to fire us. And it's a sick, it's just a merry-go-round. And so, you know, I think I think it's a great deal for y'all that, you know, you get rid of the weeds right away and then you can build a culture. And I think last year for us, there was a – I'm good friends with – a. A guy that writes for the athletic for us, a guy by the name of Man Navarro. He's been around. He wrote for the Herald for many years, and then he moved on the athletic because they pay more money now than the newspaper. But he told me something this summer that I thought was crazy. He said a lot of the kids on our team last year, they didn't think Mario was going to be around because they had seen so much coach turnover. And I said, he signed a 10-year deal. He says, but you're missing a point. Yeah. He says, these kids, they just, they, they ain't looking at it like that. They don't understand. They, they're in their own world. And I'm like, they can't well, be what, that stupid. What, well, it's what you and I said. They see Mario as a long-term solution, period. And that's what people yeah. don't understand. That's why people, Mario is a long, they know Mario couldn't come in. And unfortunately, like some of the other coaches, I don't know if Mario's putting the pressure on himself to win, obviously, because he's Mario Cristobal who won two national championships. But they're looking at it as we need you to come back and build that culture that you're talking about. That's what we want. We want the continuous victories. We don't want the one hit a quitter. We don't want you to be a you know a, you know a, a, just a light in the dark where you just show up. Yeah, that that you win one year, yeah, that's three years and fizzle out. No, they want him to be. They want Mario to turn Miami to what Nick Saban's doing, what you know, what your guys doing at Georgia. That, that's what that what Kirby's doing at Georgia. That's what they're looking for for Mario. Well, so Mario is a long term solution. That's why they signed him to a ten year contract. And I and I think you know, is he on pace to do what he wants to do? I don't think he's on pace to do what he wants to do. But I think Mario's on the right pace to get some things done that he wants to get done at the University of Miami so he can get back to the pace that he's looking for. That's probably the best way for me to put it. Yeah, I, I agree. Well, I, I tell you, because it was funny because, um, you know, last year he had a little bit of a setback because the guy that he wanted to be the offensive coordinator strung him along and changed his mind, didn't take the job. And then his second option wanted the job, but his wife, told him, you can go, but we're getting a divorce. And so he stayed where he was at, and then he was settled on Josh Gaddis, 
who was a cancer, and I have no problem saying a cancer, not only to the players but to the coaching staff. I mean, nobody liked this guy. And as soon as he could, he got rid of him. Now, this guy he's brought in, I've watched this guy because I lived in Houston, and I you know, used to watch Houston football when it come on early. And I watched his offense the year before, last year, and the guy that we have now, when he was having uh, success early, I wasn't surprised because the guy that he had last year at Houston, Clayton Toon, who's with the Arizona Cardinals, was a carbon copy of Tyler. And it looked like Tyler was doing good, but nobody understands. I and mean, he just got what, what the baseball players call it, the yips. Is that, I guess that's the term you call it. Because I remember Craig Bidger was playing with the, um, with the Astros, and he was the second baseman. And he couldn't throw the ball to first base for like about 30 games. And they had to they had to take him out of the lineup. And it's like, okay, this is something you do every day, all day, in your sleep. And now all of a sudden, you can't throw the ball to first base. And they had him seeing the team psychologist and all that. And I don't know. But realistically, Tiger, when I look at this team and I look at the improvement, our defense – is a conference championship caliber defense. Um, I agree. We got some really good receivers. Our offensive line is one of the top five in the country. Our running back room is deep. There's just one position that's killing us right now. <laughs> but it's the most important position. And it's well, like, I think it's a matter – it goes back to what you said. You need – at that position, you need a culture guy. And I just think Mario's trying to find the best guy for a coach. Like I said, Mario's not where he wants to be at, but Mario's putting the team together that he needs to put together in order to get where he needs to be. And the, the thing about it is, us as alumni, man, we ain't going to be happy <laughs> unless they win that championship. That's the, that's the no, truth. man. We ain't going to be happy with nothing. But, again, I'm, I'm hoping, and I'm not, I'm not speaking for everybody, but I'm, speaking, I'm behind Mario 100%. You know, I'm behind any coach. I was behind Randy 100%. I was behind Al Golden 100%, Margaret. Anybody that's at the University of Miami, I'm behind them 100% to get that thing going because I bleed green and orange. I love the University of Miami, period. I'm going to say this about what you just said. I've been behind. I I agree with you. I've supported every coach. And I felt, to be honest with you, Randy kind of got a – he kind of got a bad deal because Donna kind of – What's the word I'm looking for? Yeah. Uh, but I, don't, I don't know the ends out of it. I don't know the ends out of nothing. So all I know is I was behind. I well, I'll, I'll say this because he kind of got deceived in that she said, well, hey, I just want to get the academic straight, you know, take your time winning. Basically, what you're saying about with Mario, the long-term solution to get a certain culture. Well, the board, of, the, 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 the boosters, the board of trustees, some people, they was like, no, nah, no, nah, we're trying to win. <laughs> So it became a conflict, and he took it on the chin. And then Al came in out of all of the guys. Now, I, I'll say this. Al was cool as hell about letting us come around. Like I said, he's come around all the time. But Al had no respect for our culture. I mean, he was trying to force Penn State culture into Miami. And it just, he, you know, he came in and changed the defense to 3-4. He made 205-pound linebackers. He wanted them to gain 30 pounds, and it wasn't even. And I'm because you know, I knew I, I was talking to a couple of the kids and having to counsel a couple of them. Tony Chicolo's son, um, 
uh, Anthony, oh, he was so he was so miserable because they were they kept wanting him to gain all this weight, and he got bloated, he couldn't move around. Then when he gets, but you know the weird now he, you know the weird thing about you know the weird thing about that right? What he was he was miserable, but he got drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers and played five years because he was a three four defense. So it worked out to his advantage. <laughs> yeah, that's the crazy part about it. But but what was crazy is. Pittsburgh had him lose weight so he could rush the passer. It's just, yeah. but but then Mark comes in, and I remember that first, you know how we had the alumni weekend, that first alumni weekend, he was mm-hmm. talking, he says, he just basically said, these kids, oh, these kids, are they, he basically said, hey, we got a long way to go. We got to get these kids right. And then he did the ultimate sacrifice. He put his money where his mouth was. He said, look, we need an indoor practice facility. Here's a million dollars. He got the ball rolling, and then, you know, he made some adjustments. But I think when he took our job, his health was already declining, and he tried to hold out for as long as he could. And then the other problem he had was the athletic director had no clue of how an athletic department from from an athletic standpoint, was supposed to run. He understood how to get money, but he didn't understand the dynamics of uh, the athletic department. And then you know the Mar, you know Manny came in, and he was a players' coach, but a little bit too much of a players' coach because I'll tell you something. Demarcus Van Dyke was on staff, and I mean I used to, I was he I, I guess I you know he was like little homeboy, and I knew he went to U.M., and I just talked to him all the time. And he told me something one day about, yeah, man, Al Blaze ain't show up for no meeting. I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, hold on. What do you mean he didn't show up for a meeting? Yeah, he ain't been to a meeting in like two days. And in my mind, I couldn't even fathom what he was saying, Tiger, because I thought to myself, if I skip a meeting with Jimmy Johnson, one meeting, <laughs> I'm out. Yeah. You're not gonna be there. Yeah, uh, trust me. I, you know, I, I've been places where I've seen players disrespect some head coaches, and I'm thinking, man, your bags would have been packed messing with Jimmy. <laughs> yes, you would have been back. Your, your locker would have been cleaned out. My man would have cleaned your locker out so quick, so quick. Now the the story that Randy, I remember Randy was telling us when I was a very, uh, a very sure freshman, two freshmen about. John Canine's brother Rob Canine about how he showed up to the banquet, and they had his um his life size picture up there at the at the front, and he went to Coach Johnson. Coach Johnson, um, why is my I'm a junior? And Coach Johnson said, "Who told you we redshirted you? We need that scholarship." Yeah. <laughs> he shook the man's hand. I was like, "Damn, oh yeah, man, I, that's how it was." I mean, that's that's the bottom but, line of how it was. But that's but but again. The obligation that a coach has to you, me as a head coach, the obligation I have to you once you come here as a football player, my obligation isn't to start you just because you think you're good. My obligation to you, in my opinion, if you follow all the rules, if you do everything you're supposed to do, bust your behind 100%, my obligation is that you get your college degree. Now, if you yes. get your college degree in three and a half years or if you get it in four years, that's it. If you don't play your first year, that don't mean you're redshirted. That that doesn't mean that at all. It just means you didn't play your first year, because yeah. if you're not getting it done. Come fourth year, and you graduate in May. I'm shaking your hand. Thank you, man. You're an outstanding young man. You know, but we need to part ways. 
And so that's how it was. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's, not, that's not, again, that ain't personal. But a lot of young men take it personal. You know, because they think well, I, and I know. think that was the reason why Jimmy was able to do that is because he graduated in four years, not realizing yeah, that, that fifth year wasn't promised to him after he graduated. <laughs> everybody but, I mean, a lot of young men don't understand that. A lot of young men say, Coach, he's registered in this year. Yeah, you, you registered unless you ain't playing. If you ain't getting it done in that fourth year, once you graduate, that's it. Because again, as well as as much as I'm in the business of you know trying to build better men, better husbands, and, be, and better fathers, I'm also in the business of winning football games. And so, yeah, if those things aren't happening, then there have to be changes. Either changes with me, changes with assistant coaches, or changes with players. I mean, that's the bottom line more than anything else, man. But hey, man, I got to work tomorrow, bro. <clears throat> Okay, well, well, one, uh, one, one last question. How long you been at Robert Morris? This is my sixth season. This is my sixth season. I got here back here in 2018. The crazy thing, man, it's just been like a crazy roller coaster, no cab, man. Because when I got here, you know, 2018, they hadn't had a winning season here since uh, I want to say 2010. And you know, we're in a conference, one conference, and then the second year we almost won the conference championship. We went 75, first winning season since 2010. And then the next year, pandemic hit and shut everything down. We switched conferences, but we didn't know anything about the new conference. Then we had the spring football, but we were still kind of, you know, bringing in recruits for the old conference. So it's a situation where we changed conferences. So that's been the toughest thing right now, man. Is just we're in a bigger, better conference, you know. We're in a, and we're just taking our bumps and bruises, man, while we're starting out that way. So hopefully we can turn this thing around. We can get out. If we can win this one on Saturday, we'll finish the season five and six, but we'll finish the season with three straight wins. And, you know, going into the off season, you know, that'll be powerful. You know, that'll be good. So that's what we're trying to do right now, man, trying to make sure we're going in the right direction. Well, let me ask you, driving to do those things. Let, let me ask you a question because I know, you know, you're an older school guy. Do, do, do you um, check your Twitter and all that? Because I know a lot there's some, some, some people who are listening who have kids who – May want to send you some, I some huddle. Yeah, I check. I check my Twitter. I, I check it not as much as I should, but um, I check it. But to be honest with you, man, Kev, I'm one of them guys because you say I'm old school. So many guys send their highlights to me, and I I want to watch games. Obviously, your highlights are you're great not the only coach. You're not the only coach I've heard that from. A lot of coaches yeah. now want to see game full games. I mean, because then you, you got guys like, well, coach, I'm doing a seven on seven. Kev. I don't coach seven on seven. I coach tackle football. I coach football where if you go across the middle, you might get hit. Seven on seven, you're going to catch the ball across the middle, make a one-handed kick because can't nobody hit you. So it's a little different. So, no, I, I, I check my Twitter. I check my um, Instagram every now and then. So, no, I, I check well, all those them, things. Just, get, give them, give them your, your, your Instagram and your Twitter information. Well, my ex my ex, well, my ex is, I don't know what my Instagram is. I ain't going to lie to you. My ex is at 80s Kane 57. So, yeah, okay. at 80s came 57. And Bernard Clark, you know, Bernard Clark Jr. is on both, on all of them. And the reason I started adding Jr. to my name, man, you know, I lost my pops in 2019, and I always want to represent my dad, man. So I always I represent Bernard Clark Jr. as opposed to just Bernard Clark. So that's why I use that name. Okay, well, I'll uh, I'll uh, spread that out on, <laughs> on, my, on my stuff, too, so that, you know, there's some kids. Cause, you know, it's well, spread my, kids spread my book out there, too. You know, I wrote a book, right? You ain't never get my book. No. Yeah, I yeah, got a book. Get, it's, called, it's called Ascension, A Coach's Guide to Becoming a Better Man, Husband, and Father by Bernard Tiger Clark, Jr. So, where, yeah, where man, can they find you know, it at? 
It's on Amazon. If you just pull up Bernard okay. Clark Jr., you pull up. It's on Amazon. So All appreciate right. the support, hey, well. man. Hey, man, great talking yeah. to you, Kev, man, as usual, man. You know, Kane Brothers for life, no doubt. Yeah, man. See for you. Go out there and win. All right, babe. I'll talk to you. All right, Kane Station. That was a great show. I want to thank everybody. Listen, uh, we, we got one more game. Well, two, including the bowl. So, listen, we're going we're gonna to close on a strong note, I feel. And then we're going to go into the offseason, kill recruiting, and get ready for a big year, 2024. So I want to thank you for listening. Uh, you know you can find us at Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, at Miami, M-I-A-M-I-Huddlecast, Miami Huddlecast. And you can find me on Twitter at Ebony Lifestyles. That's E-B-O-N-Y-L-I-F-E-S-T-Y-E-L-E-S. So until the next time, it's all about the you, baby. Canes for life. Enough said.